in the Bible that we see Jesus. We see Jesus of, of power. We see a Jesus of mercy and love and wisdom. Come and see this Jesus that I know and love. The Bible also shows us ourselves. The Bible will reveal to us our hearts and our fears and our needs. The Bible is the place because it's from God, the maker of minds and hearts. He tells us just exactly what we need to know about ourselves and Him. And so when you read Scripture, you see yourself if you're reading with an open heart and mind. And it's the Bible we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. It's the Bible that will make us wise for salvation. So if you're concerned about what happens next, if you're concerned about what happens when you take your last breath here, if you're concerned about the things you've done, the sins you've committed, the way you've acted, it's the Bible that makes us wise for salvation. So come and see. Come and see what is here. But in spite of its power, in spite of its beauty, the Bible remains a source of controversy. When it comes to the Bible, most of the concerns have to do with things like, you know, can it be trusted? And what does it really say? And if we do know it's from God, and if we do believe what it says and understand what it says, well then, how do we take it to somebody else? How do we go tell somebody else what the Bible says? They've got all these different concerns. Here's what I want you to know. Not only for today's lesson, but every single day, every time you go out into the world and you're thinking about what the Lord has asked you to do, the truth has nothing to fear. The truth has nothing to fear. Whether it's being attacked from the outside or if there's questions being asked from the inside, the truth has nothing to fear. This applies to Scripture. This applies to evangelism. Because even with our love for Scripture, sometimes questions do arise. Believers have questions. Believers have concerns. And that's okay. Remember, I want to say something we said a few weeks ago. It is okay to ask questions. Please don't feel like you're strange. Please don't feel like you're weird if you've got questions. But also, please don't keep those questions to yourself. If you're struggling with something, if you're doubting something, if you're confused about something, go to your parents or go to an elder or come to, to me, a preacher, a deacon. Come to somebody and let's study together. Let's look at what the Lord says together. Let's see Jesus together. Because it's good to think. It's normal to, to have questions about things and have to wrestle through. So let's count on each other, okay? Let's, let's rely on each other. Let's help each other to love and obey God. That's what God calls us to do. Hebrews 10, 24. Let's consider and find ways to stir each other up to love and good works. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Let's bear each other's burdens. So that even applies... If you're a person, you say, man, I've been going to church for 40 years. You know what I bet? I bet you got a couple questions. I bet you got a couple things that you're wrestling with. Maybe some things you've been wrestling with for about 40 years. Stop keeping those things to yourself. Let's, let's talk to each other. Let's study together. The Lord would say it this, this way in Isaiah chapter 1. Come and let's reason together. The truth has nothing to hide. and The truth has nothing to fear. And so we can look at God's Word together with confidence, addressing real questions that are really asked by real people in the real world, and not be afraid of that. Okay? That's a pretty big disclaimer, because I say all those things to say, I recognize that what we're going to look at today is unusual. But I know it's a question that's being asked, and so I think it will benefit us, it will behoove us, it will be good for us to study it together. Okay? So one of the things that I'm going to ask for you to do is to be patient and to be attentive listeners 
He said, I always listen really well. Great. Listen extra double well today. But also be patient with me. Be, be kind to me. Give me the benefit of the doubt. Because we're going to be studying this thing together, okay? Okay, so here's the first thing. We're going to talk about the fact that sometimes there's questions from people on the inside. There's concerns from people on the inside. This isn't the people that go to the college campus and say, you know, how could you believe in this book? And just try to destroy the Bible and destroy faith. This is from people who, who love the Lord. This is from people who love the Bible. And they have questions. And they have things that concern them. And one of those concerns is that uh, some are afraid that maybe there's Scripture that is missing. Now, for some reason, a lot of energy and a lot of anxiousness and a lot of anger gets stirred up over the concept of Bible translations. Some will brand you as a heretic just based upon the English version that you hold in your hand. Doesn't matter what doctrine you teach, doesn't matter how righteously you live, just have the wrong translation and you're branded a heretic. Now, that's not the way that we want to live in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I want to say right from the start that the things that we'll talk about here, the things that will be presented in the next couple of minutes, are not a condemnation of one particular version, and they're not a commercial for a different kind of version. That's not at all what we're, what we're doing. We simply want to answer a question, one that I've been asked several times over the years. And then just this week, a TikTok video was sent to me with this unusual circumstance, with the question that this person had. Here's the, here's the video. There's a woman there on the screen with who I can only assume is, is her daughter on the split screen. And the woman clearly, clearly loves her Bible. She's clearly sincere. She's clearly devoted. She, at one point, she even holds up her Bible to the camera, and you can see it, man. See, my Bible looks brand new. I only use it on Sunday mornings. I've got other Bibles that I wear out and you know, work on and draw in and that kind of thing. So this one looks, looks nice. I've got others that are ugly. This woman held up her Bible to the screen, and boy, it was worn out. You could tell she's had that thing open. She's turned it, dog-eared it. She's used it so much. She's used it a lot. She loves the Bible. And she says in this video, she says, you know, I was watching another TikTok video. So here she is in a TikTok video. She says, I was watching another TikTok video. And she said, the man in that video said, get out your Bible. So you may want to do this. He said, get out your Bible and turn it to Matthew 17, 21. And she said, so I did. And she turns to Matthew 17, 21. And lo and behold, her Bible went from Matthew 17, 20 to Matthew 17, 22. There wasn't a 21 there. Now she, she went over and she pulled out another copy of Scripture. She pulled out a, a King James Bible. And in the King James Bible, Matthew 17, 21 is there. And so she said, what happened? Why is it here but not here? Why did they take this verse out of my Bible? Now, the, the point that she's making is, and remember, this is from someone who desperately loves the Bible, not someone who's trying to cause trouble, I don't think. So then this Bible that she has just worn out and that she loves so much, she says, why is it not here? And then she goes to a couple other places and mentions a couple different other passages and it's the same kind of thing. In the King James, it's there, but in the version, she's, I don't even know what version she's looking at. She never said, it's not there. And so she's very, very much concerned and very, very much stirred up. And I want you to note something. Even if you're looking, if you've got one of the pew Bibles, maybe the New King James right there, I see one putting it away. In Matthew 17, 21, even there, there's a little note, little footnote. 
Matthew 17, you go down to the bottom and it says, the NU text does not include this verse. So they make a footnote there that some don't include it. So let's talk about this. Let's, let's see what's going on because here's what she said. With great pain, with great fear, she said, why is this verse not here? Because she's afraid that, that Satan has been at work and has led men to do something terrible. She says again and again, why would you leave that out of my Bible? And then sort of to press the point home, she goes to Revelation twenty-two nineteen, 19. And she says, here's this word of warning for all you who like to take verses out of the Bible. Revelation twenty-two nineteen 19 says, if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. And then she ends the video with these words. Now listen closely. I can't believe these verses aren't in my Bible. I need answers. I understand her concern. I absolutely do. I'm so thankful for sincere hearts who love the Word of God and want to make sure that it's not bothered, it's not tampered with, it's not altered, it's not destroyed. Hallelujah, there are people who love the Bible this way. Amen? It ought to be you and me. But I got good news. Boy, I got good news. She wants answers. You want answers? We have answers. We have good, reasonable, logical, justifiable, God-honoring answers to this very thing. We have no reason to fear. We have the complete... Let me say this clearly. I'm going to sort of back up, catch my breath so you can catch yours and you'll hear this. We have no reason to fear that we have the complete, final, and perfect Word of God. Amen? I say that without fear. I say that without worry of being embarrassed. So what about this question? What about these missing verses? Well, I submit to you it's this simple. Now hear me when I say it. There are no missing verses. There's not any missing verses. This is a, a false controversy. This is an unnecessary controversy. It's what some will have labeled fake news. This is not a real controversy. If you're looking at Matthew 17, 21, no matter your translation, you're likely to have some kind of footnote, as we already said. So if you, if you do have a place that goes from 20 to 22, there's a footnote there that takes you down to the bottom, and it says many manuscripts include this, right? So the ones that have it say some don't. The ones that do say, say some don't. The ones that don't say some do, right? Everybody makes a note of it there. But here's what I want you to know. Here's the reason it's not found in translations like the ESV or the NIV or things like that. Based upon the huge mountain of evidence, do you hear those words? Based upon the huge mountain of evidence, all the information that we have now, the best and the oldest, closest to the apostles' information that we have, indicates that Matthew 17, 21 was not there in the original. Now, here's the deal. It looks exactly like Mark 9, 29. Go to Mark 9, 29. No controversy there. Mark 29, Mark 9, 29 is in every kind of place, everywhere. Mark 9, 29. It seems to be the case that somewhere along the way, a good-intentioned scribe, copyist, translator, included that information there between Matthew 7, 20 and 22. So the newer translations trying to be faithful, listen to this, trying to be faithful to God's Word. Took those few words out. It's still in Mark 9, 29, but it's not here. 
And so they added a little note knowing, telling us what is going on. Now here's what I want you to think about. When she, you know, this woman in the TikTok video had the King James here and whatever her translation was here, she says, look, it's here in this, but it's not in this. Here's what I want you to know. Back in 1611, when King James had commissioned his group of people to make a new translation, that's what they did. Back in the 1300s, there was an English translation done by Wycliffe. In the 1500s, there was an English translation by Tyndall. And in the 1600s, King James wanted a new translation. And so he commissions this team to go to the Hebrew and Greek and, and give us a new translation. And so they were doing the very, 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 very best God-honoring job they could do using about 25 New Testament manuscripts. Did you hear that? Using about 25 New Testament manuscripts. Today, at our fingertips, we have access to well more than 5,000. You know what's happening day after day after day? More and more and more things are being found. More archaeological evidence that are showing us things. More and more manuscripts found. More people coming together. The amount of information we have now is incredible. It's mind-blowing. And all we do as each day goes by is we find more. When we were in Israel a couple of years ago, you know what we saw everywhere we turned our heads? People working. You know what they're doing? Finding more and more and more things confirming the Word of God more and more and more, making us know for sure, making us feel confident that we know more and more and more what the Word of God says, that it's true, that it's accurate, that it's trustworthy. The lady from the TikTok video reminded us to be careful about taking away from God's Word. And boy, we better be serious about that. But you know what Revelation twenty-two eighteen says? Revelation twenty-two eighteen says, if you add to the Word of God, you'll be condemned. I don't want to put a verse in that's not there. I don't want to add to the Word of God. Word, Revelation 22, 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. I'm confident that you feel just like I do. We don't want to add to or take away from the precious, powerful, perfect Word of God, not even a little bit. I'm so thankful for those who love God's words so much that they have studied Hebrew and Greek and they've translated the life-giving words into English. I'm thankful for that, and I know you're thankful for that. I'm thankful for those who've searched the world over to find evidence, to find the manuscripts that contain the Word of God. I'm thankful for the people who've done the hard labor. I'm thankful to God, most of all, for preserving His Word in a way that even people like me, He's preserved it through His providence, that even people like me can see it and read it and understand it. He has absolutely, God has made sure that we have all that we need to know to know him and be saved. Amen? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is a promise of God about what you hold in your hands. His divine power, God's power and his providential will, it says he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He has made sure that we have the word of God. He has made sure we have all we need to know to know him. He's made sure we have all we need to know to be saved by him. Praise God that he has done that for us. And so we can read a passage like Psalm 19, verse 7. We can read this with conviction. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple like, like me. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. Can I say it one more time? Every word of God proves true. 
He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. And then listen to what was said in Acts 24, verse 14. Acts 24, 14. This I confess to you, according to the way which they call a sect. I worship the God of our fathers. How could you worship God? How could you know what God expects? How could you know how God calls you to be saved and live? I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Amen. I believe the message that God has given us. I believe he has given us what we need. And you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. A passage you know well, but would serve us well to read it here. 2 Timothy 3 at verse 14. As for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, those sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is missing? <laughs> no, no. You look at these passages like Psalm 19 and Proverbs 30, we see and we know we are convicted. We have the message in the word of God. We have just exactly what he needs us to know and wants us to know. We have and we can know the word of God. Let us love it. Let us live it. And let us share it. Which is what brings us to the second topic of the hour. It seems a little strange. Maybe it seems a little disjointed, but it's a second question that goes with the first one. If we know that we have the word of God, if we know that no word of his goes missing and that every word he's given is true and sure, then not only should we love it and live it, but we must share it. We must tell other people about it. But one of the problems that we see and that we're facing this day in this social media age is that we are seeing more and more and more people come to the conclusion that evangelism is wrong. Now, we need to be concerned about that. And we'll see in just a moment, we'll see just why we need to be. But here's the deal. There's a negative view of evangelism, and it's growing. It's not, it's not just getting smaller. It's growing. The Barna Group, and I know most of you are familiar with the Barna Group. They do a lot of uh, surveys and a lot of investigation to uh, spit out statistics about religious people and direction that religions are going. The Barna Group's all about questions and stats. Well, they did a study not long ago where they asked this question, is it wrong to do evangelism and attempt to change other people's beliefs? That was sort of the overarching theme. They asked a lot of questions, but that was the major idea. Now, here's the results of what they found out in the Barna study. Listen to this, because it's going to sound really weird. Listen, 96% of young people in this study agree that being a Christian means you are to be sharing your faith. So 96% of those who call themselves Christians say that it's important to share your faith. That's almost all, 96%. 94% said that knowing Jesus is like the best thing that could ever happen to anyone. So if you have these two things together, 96%, if I'm a Christian, I share my faith. 94%, whew, knowing Jesus makes your life better. So what do you think the next thing would be? that we'd find like 95% of the young people surveyed would say, I need to be about the business of sharing my faith. Confusingly, 50% in this same survey, 50% said that it is wrong to do evangelism 
and try to change someone's beliefs. One out of two says it's wrong to do evangelism. Now, how could that be? How could it be that half of them say it's wrong when we said 96% say that they know being a Christian means sharing your faith? Doesn't make a sense. And that other group there, those that would even come out and say, yes, I know that it's right. Yes, I should evangelize. You know what they also said? But I'm scared to. I know that it's right. I know that it's good. But I'm afraid. What is it that brings us to this place? Where could we be? What's going on in the world where we're 50% say it's wrong to evangelize? And another huge percentage says, I know I should, but I'm scared to evangelize. What's happening? Well, the first suggestion is that we have a generation being raised up under the, the tyranny of tolerance. We have a generation growing up that's being taught, not by parents necessarily, but they're growing up being taught that tolerance and acceptance are the ultimate virtues. You want to be a person of character? You want to be a human being that displays uh, you know, what it really means to be a true, good human? And you're tolerant. And the definition of tolerance here, no longer, you know, tolerance used to mean you have an opinion, I have an opinion, we disagree, but we're still going to get along. I'm tolerating you. That's what it meant. You say X, I say Y, but we still go to lunch together. We tolerate each other. You put up with each other. That's not what it means anymore. Tolerance now means you accept my position or I will crush you. And so kids are afraid to make a stand. And they're confused about making a stand. Because we know that's, that's not reality, just to in, accept any and everything. If someone's doing damage to themselves, maybe they're taking drugs or whatever it might be, if someone's doing damage to themselves, love doesn't embrace that, love doesn't encourage that, love doesn't accept that or celebrate that, love stops that. If my friend decides that doing meth is what's going to make him happy and feel fulfilled, my love and concern for him helps him stop. So growing up in an age of, of tolerance has led to some to have these confused and misunderstandings. But there's also this. Part of the problem is this. The example set by some Christians. We live in a time where kindness is emphasized in a big way, and rightfully so. Kindness should be emphasized. Galatians 5.22, Ephesians 4.32, Scripture, the Lord Jesus says, if you're going to follow after me, you're going to be kind. So that should be emphasized by all people at all times in all eras. But many, many Christians are unkind, and many Christians have been hateful, especially in these social media spaces. And so when Christianity is no longer seen as good, but rather as hateful, we absolutely have our work cut out for us. And so, so many have come to a point where they say, I know that Jesus is the answer, and I know that Jesus is great, and I know that Jesus improves your life, I know that Jesus offers you salvation, but I just can't tell anybody about it either because I think it's wrong or because I'm scared to say it because I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be shunned. So here's some things that we need to know. We need to first emphasize the need for evangelism. So first and foremost, evangelism is a divine command. It's just that simple. Evangelism is a command from God. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Romans, 13, or excuse me, Romans 10, verses 13 through 17. We could look at other places, but I think those two are sufficient. The Lord says, go and tell people about me. The Lord says, go and teach people and make disciples to follow in my footsteps. The Lord says, go and baptize the world, bringing them into my kingdom. It's a command. 
And so to be faithful to the Lord, we have to spread the gospel message. But then there's also this. There's a need for evangelism because there's no other way to be saved. Acts 4.12, John 14.6, people have to know about Jesus. He's the only hope for the world. There's no other way to be saved. But here's another reason why evangelism is necessary. Hell is real. Hell's not a myth. Hell's not made up. Hell's not a fairy tale. Hell is real. Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 46. 2 Peter 2, 4. Revelation 20, verses 10 through 15. Revelation 21, 8. On and on I could go. The Lord Jesus makes it plain. Hell is real. And so we need to tell people about it. Just like my friend with the drug problem. I'm a terrible friend if I let him go headlong into where that will lead. But if I love him, I tell him to stop. We must be doing all we can to warn and keep people from the pain and the horrible outcome that is eternity in hell. So there's a great, great need for evangelism. But it's the nature of evangelism that I want to talk about for just one quick minute. We should share the message of the gospel. We should share the good news of Jesus Christ with a sense of urgency. We don't know how much time we've got. We don't know how much time the, the person we're talking to has got. We don't know how much time we've got left. The Lord says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 through 4, that the end will be sudden, like a thief in the night. You didn't know when the thief was coming. You'd have been prepared for it. You'd have been sitting on the front porch ready if you knew when the thief was coming. Romans 13, verse 11, the Bible says that salvation, meaning heaven, is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You should have a sense of urgency. So that should help you get past some of the fears that you have. When you're afraid of what some might do, when you're afraid of what some might say, when you're afraid of what uh, your social standing might be tomorrow, those things pale in comparison to eternity away from the Lord. There should be a sense of urgency in telling people about Jesus. But here's the other thing. The nature of our evangelism ought to absolutely be loving. We tell people about Jesus because we love them. We tell people about Jesus because we love Him. We tell people the truth because we love them. We tell people the truth because we love Jesus. Ephesians 4.15 says that we are to be speaking the truth in love. There's that perfect combination. It's got to be true. It can't be our own ideas. It can't be something that's halfway. It can't be something that's false. We have to speak the truth in love. In 1 Peter 3.15, we're told to make a defense, note this, with gentleness and respect or with meekness and with fear. That's the very way that Jesus calls us. You look at Matthew chapter 11. Look down at Matthew 11, 28 and 29, when Jesus himself is calling people to come be with him. Because that's what we're doing, right? When we share the gospel, we're calling people, come be with the Lord. Come see Jesus. Come follow Jesus. And so when he himself makes the call, Matthew 11, 28, 29, he says, come to me. Come be with me. Come follow me. And then look at this. I'm meek. And I'm lowly, I'm gentle, I'm kind. He says, I'm offering you the way, I'm offering you the home, I'm offering you hope. That's the way Jesus calls, with urgency, but with kindness and with love. So in light of all the things that we've seen here, is evangelism wrong? Absolutely not. It's demanded, it's commanded, it's expected, and it's a matter of urgency. It must be done quickly, but lovingly and kindly. So in light of all that we've considered today, like I said at the start, I know this would be 
different. I know it would be unusual and that wouldn't be your normal type sermon. But in light of all the things that we've considered here today, let me leave you with this. The Bible is trustworthy. In spite of all the lies that Satan has told, in spite of all the ways that Satan has tried to destroy it, the Bible's trustworthy. We have the very words of God. We must cherish them, obey them, and share them. So with loving urgency, I here and now, I plead with you to obey the precious, timeless, perfect words of the Lord. If you've never obeyed the Gospel, then this is your opportunity. This is the call to repent of your sins and be immersed, washed in a watery grave, forgiven of your sins, added by Jesus to the kingdom. If you've never obeyed the Gospel, this is the opportunity. But if you have, and you've been dealing with struggles and doubts and all these different things churning up and twisting inside of you and you've been confused... Maybe you need for your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray with you. Maybe you need to put an open call out to say, I need to study with someone. Well, don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. All of us have gone through that and are going through that or will go through that. So if there's any way we can help or encourage you today, won't you come while we stand and sing? Let's go.